0: I am Citizen 44.
1: This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. Hey everybody, Mark Aaronsberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 53. Today's show we have Nick Garrett Powell. What a musical freak show, man, oh my God. This guy is sick with talent. Singing, guitar playing, songwriting, using all his ridiculous, and really a super nice guy, honestly. Uh, We had a really fun time, and uh, it's a great show with lots of fun music and good conversation. This is also the last show that I will be broadcasting from my apartment in downtown Ashland, Oregon. On Monday, I'm out of here, man. I'm going to Idaho for one week, do a little exploratory business over there, find a place to live and be in this town that is... Moscow, Idaho, they call it Moscow, Moscow, Idaho. They don't call it Moscow, which is how it's spelled, but whatever, maybe that's living in denial, I don't know. I understand it's pretty progressive. So we'll see, I might be the only Jew there. I actually looked at the religious organizations in the town, I'm not a religious practicing Jew, I'm just Jew from the get goo. So it's all good, uh, it'll be fun. So there you go couple more days. I spent literally 90 minutes packing today. I've got a nice pile of about six tubs, the box that this computer will be in, my microphones, my backpack with my clothes, a couple of bags with kitchen-type things and bathroom things, but you know what? I don't own a bunch of anything. I got almost nothing, so super easy move. My flight's at 1234 on Monday. Drive back with my friend Darren's car spend a few days with val and the kids put my stuff in his toyota 4runner and uh, drive for 10 hours back to my new place of residence moscow moscow idaho it is a red state where pot is still illegal should be interesting to say the least it's been a really fun week a lot of people have taken me out for meals and coffee and wanting to get in their goodbyes, and it's been very sweet. My last day at Paris Green was on Wednesday, and uh, as far as I know, Gabby, or Joyce, as it were, will take me to the airport around 11 o'clock in the morning on Monday for my 12.30 flight to Spokane, Washington, where Darren and Adrian will pick me up and take me back to Moscow, Moscow. Gotta keep on keeping on. Okay, here we go, Nick. Garrett Powell.
2: I'd like to book a gig in Iceland or something, or Sweden, somewhere that still speaks dominant English. Something where maybe I can just break even the first time financially while exploring. Aren't there people in those places that are looking for people like you? I think those places are largely uninhabited. i try to just like Google it, you know, and and see like gigs in Iceland for traveling Americans, you know, and just see what happens. Aren't there international promoters that maybe
1: there's these guys that represent, you know, the president of music of Iceland, and that's that's what you call like, is this the president of music of Iceland?
2: (laughs) I've met some weird people with mighty strange claims about like being the president of music and stuff. I met a man who claimed that he was the ambassador of music from the Vatican to the United States. And this dude was really eccentric. But was he on point with his story? He was an astonishingly really good pianist. To forget the man's name. He showed up one day at this recording studio I was at and said, hey, I just wanted to check on my grand piano since I'm in America for one day. I'm like, who's this guy? He made some pretty bold claims, and he just kicked this piano's ass and made it sound amazing. And then he took everybody out to sushi, and he spent like four or $500 on sushi, and he claimed that he was the music ambassador from the Vatican. And it was his grand piano, too. He just was stopping in on his American grand piano. We have no idea who we're walking amongst.
1: What do you got going on there?
2: Oh man, I got a bunch of guitar pedals and a guitar.
1: What's up with the under your feet stuff?
2: So I have my volume pedal. That's a big pedal, that's the biggest pedal. And I've got my wah-wah, let's see if it engages. (laughs) It's actually not engaging correctly. So, then I got my overdrive.
1: Oh man, if you guys could see what I see, what he's
2: doing with his fingers over (laughs) there. Jeez. Shred, shred, shred.
0: This is an acoustic
1: guitar, by the way. This is not an electric, it's an electrified acoustic.
2: Yeah, this is my old broken honer. Broken? What's broken? Broken the neck off twice. You can see I've repaired it crudely right here. <laughs> this time, you know, I learned my lesson. You don't need staples to uh, hook two pieces of a guitar back together. You can just glue it back together. Who's using staples? Me, when I was in high school. I stapled my guitar back together when I left my guitar in the choir room and someone broke it. Not sure how that happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone just was horsing around and, and landed on it. Or maybe someone played it and they broke it and they put it back, I'm not sure. In any case, I took it down to the wood shop and I just, you know, I glued the pieces together, clamped it as hard as I could, but I also stapled it. And it was cool and it never broke. I loved that guitar. I loaned it to a girl and then she like moved away with it and then she dated this guy who tossed out of like their apartment or something. It was like a 1971 Alvarez. It was a nice guitar. My Uncle John's guitar. Sorry, Uncle John. Is he still around? Oh, yeah. He's in California. He doesn't know about that one. He doesn't know about it? No. Uh, No. Yeah, he does. (laughs) You just might. Maybe. I didn't tell you,
1: he called earlier. He wanted to wish you a good show, and then he'll listen to
2: this later after he does his things. After he does his things. Right. (laughs) Yep.
1: What else you got down there?
2: Let's see. I have a reverb pedal. Reverberation. I'll turn that up, and I'll turn it off too. So here's off, and here's with. You can swell into it with a volume pedal.
1: Wow, there's so much versatility down in that little thing down there. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah.
2: Oh, here's my boost pedal. It just makes me louder. Loudness button. It's the, it's the more button. I'm already set to 10, so this is 11 and 12. Do you ever use it? I use it when I'm playing a solo in the context of having just been a rhythm guitar player. So if I'm playing something like... but just adds more punch. Yeah, and I want to get louder than that. I might have to pick really hard. And if I don't want to pick super hard, I want to play more delicately, I can just turn up my boost, kind of significantly, and then I can play softly. Of course, I have a tuner as well. The coolest pedals I have right here, um, I have a polyphonic octave. What that does is it listens to my low strings and it generates an octave down. So if I... Oh, that sounds cool. There it is. Yeah, wow. That's nice. So it yeah. generates the missing baseline. You know, and you can do like traditional bass lines if you need to. So you can do like... Do you have a looper down there too? I have a looper and I have one other super unique thing. Most of my pedals are modified by a local engineer named Kinetone. My is boost... the person's name, Kinetone? Well, his name is Brian Kinneman. Okay. And so he operates Kinetone. My octave pedal, my distortion pedal, my volume pedal... This boost pedal is handmade by him, and also the freeze pedal and its trigger. They're all custom modified by this gentleman who lives in Central Point.
1: Do people know who that dude is?
2: Absolutely, yeah. He's got an online shop. I uh, i bought some things off of his Instagram page before. It sells okay. on eBay, too. Yeah, if you dig this, this is a freeze pedal that has a trigger. So what I have is like a piano-style sustain pedal. having a couple of instruments it is these are all different kinds of synthesis i think this one's called a sample and hold that's really an amazing tool it truly is yeah what's really interesting is that this is all at the end of my signal chain so i can play something and now i'm retaining the sound now i can turn my uh volume pedal off turn my distortion on I can turn my volume pedal on, too, and then also catch that sample. So I have the the low note also in the capture. Those kinds of things. Kind of like having a little mini orchestra It really fills things out very nicely for you to take your business on the road. It really is uh, I'm not sure why the wawa is is messing up. I should take it to kinetone to repair, actually. That's what I should do. There you go. Something to do. (laughs) Something to do. Something else to do. One more task. That's all. Put it on the list. Yep. It's a nice
1: portable kick-ass option center.
0: (laughs) Uh, There you go.
2: My guitar partner in the band The Fret Drifters, Andy Cassad, he cabled this for me, and uh, he selected the power supply, so uh, it's a Voodoo Labs power supply. And uh, this is a pedal train, pedal board itself, just aluminum, with the flight case over there. Rocking, I think, the biggest pedal train that has a flight case, and I bought that because I knew I wanted to travel. So maybe like in 2008 or 9, I, I bought the flight case predicting that, you know, I want to be successful and I, I'm going to fly with this thing. I grew up listening to a bunch of blues and and rock music. 1983, I was was born, and my parents owned this record store called Leather Records, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of like sort of a Hot Topic before Hot Topic, you know, like it had offerings that weren't really going to be available at normal music stores. They had custom graphic tees, lots of custom hoodies and handmade tie-dye shirts and stuff like that. Where was the store? There was a couple of them in Southern California. One of them was outside of Norco, and then one of them was, I think, in Orange County. I'm not exactly sure how that goes, but I do know that one of my own little, like, Personal life legend things is that some of my earliest words were in the record store, and I was singing along to Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do with It, and I was going dot to do, dot to do, singing along with Tina Turner. And those were some of my very first words. How old were you? I would have been like two ish. We moved up to Oregon when I was almost four, or just about four. Did your parents dump the music stores? They sort of switched into more clothing oriented stuff for a long time after they came to Oregon. They switched from retail point of sale into more like a wholesale kind of a thing and uh, distributing. What's their story? Where'd they come from? They're interesting. Uh, they were sort of hippies that met in Southern California. And uh, they're both long-haired musician types. How old are they? My mom just turned 70. My dad is 68. I'm an only child of one of the more private kinds of personalities out there, like my mom. And uh, both my parents are intelligent, adventurous people. And they both played the guitar and the piano and they sing. They both wrote songs. And so when I was a kid, I, I didn't scrutinize what the activity was. I just copied along. And my grandpa taught me a lot of piano. I think a lot of people crave the authenticity of whatever music speaks to them. It's a universal mechanism to convey what you're feeling. I feel like I got lucky listening to Frank Zappa in the crib. It's like, hey, by the way, this is the infinite. And then you can start subtracting from here. And Steve Vai on guitar back yeah. then, too. Superhero of the musical instrument. Your parents are still around, yeah? They both still live in Oregon. Are they doing music? Neither of them. They're doing their own separate things. And uh, my dad continues his business. And my mom's uh, kind of like a sage <laughs> kind of person out uh, in her hermitage doing her own thing. And she's teaching herself Italian constantly. Oh, I'm taking my mom to Italy. Just got to book some gigs. Maybe I'll track down that music ambassador to the Vatican.
1: Right. You know, you were presented with the president of music from the Vatican. <laughs> what do you need in your life? The what kind of signs? Do you require of connection?
2: (laughs) The king of music.
1: The guy's leading you down the path to where you want to go. Literally, we're we're sending our best messenger
2: out there. (laughs) That was 11 years ago. bunch of weird shit. I've met some extraordinary musicians, just people from the other world. You're like, wow, are you the same species as me? How do you think that fast? How does your nervous system clock that many notes per second? And you conceive of these tempos and you conceive of these beautiful notes and patterns. I fit in pretty well with the uh, with the festival scene in, in Oregon, you know, like a lot of the ganja hippies. And I sort of came up in it a bit from 2010 to probably 2015, played quite a few festivals.
1: Well, I love listening to you, man. You brought some gear in. I'd love to hear some stuff and some things. You showed me your phone. You got a set list and a list of your own answered questions. I don't even have to be here, really.
2: Uh, being ever so slightly prepared. thats like my. That should be my motto. Don't go in with no preparation. Spend eight or nine minutes. And <laughs> I, I come in here, I'm like, dude, do you have a mic clip? And then I'm like, found it. Hey, do you have a mic cable? <laughs> Some people are predisposed to one modality of thinking and uh, one methodology of problem solving you know and the way that i solve problems is do i have my gear do i have the stuff that goes with the gear do i have the cases for the gear do i have guitar picks you know okay i'm ready to go because i'm just thinking of the music and the machinery of it all you know what's funny as i have that missing mic cable in the car i just don't want to go two blocks
1: i don't blame you i mean we make everything work very good
2: <laughs> es parfait. yes thank you so much <laughs> This is the same rig that I play in the Fret Drifters. The Fret Drifters, that's the name of my band. You and Andy Cassad. Yep, we're a duo. And we do play in the Valley with an excellent drummer named Matthew Kremelman. He's incredible. He's incredible, yeah.
1: You know, he used to play with the Blue...
2: Man Group? Man Group. Like, probably 21 or two. I went to Las Vegas with my dad's business, and we saw the Blue Man Group at Luxor. And then two years later, we went and saw the same show, but it moved, I think, to the Bellagio. That was fantastic, but... I recognized that there was this dude playing a musical instrument called a Chapman stick. It's like a guitar that you just do only tapping, like. Like piano type moves. But he, I think he had a 12 string version of that type of an instrument. And right above him was this dude that was leaping and hopping to hit the drums. And that was Matt. He had like a kind of like a vertical drum thing where on certain beats he'd have to leap up and hit the drums that were above him. No wonder he's in
1: like rockin' shape too.
2: Oh man, that dude like gave me a yoga lesson the other day. Yeah, Actually, it was a uh, Russian martial arts systema. and gave me a lesson on uh, kind of like martial arts flexibility and kind of re- regaining some motion in like a frozen shoulder. And t-
1: well, he's a super smart guy. A very
2: yeah. Tight drummer. a pro musician.
1: And uh, I've seen him in a variety of configurations oh, of man.
2: people around town. That dude is prolific. He plays with Jeff Pivar and the brothers Reed and the Fred Shifters, Phoenix Sigalove, and the Daniel Kelly bands. And then also I think some other stuff that I'm Zeptrix? Gonna... I've played with Zeptrix, uh, two of the Armory shows. The other configuration is Love Bite? Love Bite. Yeah. That's right. I think that's quite a few of them. And Paul Seeds band. My friend Kathy Alexander does an event called Weinstock out at her uh, property in the Applegate. And I played there. Uh, Rogue Suspects, Brothers, Reed, a lot of the bands have, have played there. Shay and I did our second performance ever there. And it's one of those things where like Shay and I started making music together because of uh, kind of necessity. There was an 80-year-old man having a birthday and he was like, I would like Nick to come and do a set and I'd like Shay to come do a set. But that's sort of hard to achieve, you know, like, do we bring two PA systems? Do we have to talk to each other? Like, I've never worked with her at that point. And I was like, well, are you going to bring a backing track? Or do you have a musician that's going to accompany your voice? Like, how does this work? So we decided, you know what, let's just spend a day rehearsing some songs. And I'll do the backing guitar. And I'll learn your songs, we'll do some covers, and we'll just get through this one gig. But we did find that after doing that one gig, wow, we've got a good hour and a half worth of material, we could just probably do this again. And so... There was a dropout at Kathy's Weinstock event and Shane and I got up and filled the extra one hour of performance time. And then we booked, a, I think, a wedding because of that. And then someone else saw us at the wedding and we booked a gig based on that gig. And it became a self-propagating gig after gig kind of a thing. So the first time I ever danced for myself and authentically moved with music as opposed to just being a guitar player. I wasn't holding still on stage or not performing, but I wasn't connecting into other people's music at such a transcendental level until it was made innocent and available to me at Burning Man when I was like, wow, I'm standing next to these dudes from Japan and I'm standing next to these Russian dudes and we all just like linked arms and started like running around in a circle. I'm not even sure what cultural thing we're just doing if we're linking arms and running in a circle, but it's primordial dancing, you know? It's like this musical moment of fraternity where these Polish people and these Russian dudes and these Japanese, and most of us were guys too, but it was just like, you know, there's always this question of like, hey, back in the default world when we're not Burning Man, like what flag do you fly and what political opinion do you have and what do you think about the welfare of the individual and all this other shit? And instead we just all linked arms and we're like, yeah, you know, and... Maybe all that we had linguistically together was the word yeah. So we just say yeah. And what is that? It's just like, yes, affirmative. It's an agreement. Yeah, it's literally agreement. It's the most basic thing you can say to someone is yes. Even if you have no linguistic connection, just thumbs up to you. And they're like, thumbs up to me, thumbs up to you. And so it's like that subconscious communication level. We just all got past it. And yeah, it's like how much more innocent can... Spinning around in a circle with a bunch of brand new friends listening to loud music and there's fire everywhere and
1: well, what do you do in kindergarten spin around and you <laughs> yeah you man. do stuff and you listen to music and you just are free
2: you're free especially because
1: this is pre-scrutiny
2: this is before that moment where you're like oh shit how am i coming off to other people it's before that freaking awareness moment when you come online and you realize oh my god people are pretty different you know like my roommate collects vinyl and i was raised in a vinyl record store but we don't listen to virtually anything the same except for the stuff we were listening to in high school. Who knows what any individual is plotting through when they're somniacal laying in bed at night thinking, okay, what's normal? Hmm, I'm going to try this out tomorrow. Sometimes you're just chemically prepared to be like, Meh, no big. I think a lot of people are solipsistic about the world is happening to them. You know what I mean?
1: Like Alan Watts said, no, we push life
2: around. I don't think that we have some intrinsic destiny where it's just like, wow, look what the universe did to me today. The law of large numbers conspired against me, and now it's raining on me.
1: Well, you have a low self-esteem problem. Yeah, people want to
2: find a pattern. And you you need love.
1: You need some big-time love and appreciation.
2: (laughs) Head to Burning Man. That's what everyone's missing. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: the sense of community, man. Well, it's sad because I think the biggest illness on the planet is loneliness, and loneliness is
2: just not knowing yourself, loving yourself. I've been thinking a lot about habit and kind of the way that you live your life. Like my way to decompress at the end of the night is to just put on a metronome and just do these boring, repeating scales. I've never had a partner that wants to sit next to me on the couch while I do that. So do I not do my weird idiosyncratic no, you find a
1: partner who doesn't give a shit about what you do. She loves you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I try to partition my days so that they're not exposed to my work hours during their rest hours. But at the same time, if I'm going to do a journeyman kind of career at all, if anything I'm going to do is going to be set to my own parameter, then wow, live music, man. I get home at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. sometimes. Like live music is not very forgiving if you are a person that's like, well, got to be at the bank at 6 a.m. I've had two experiments in, in the day job since 2010. I think almost every musician makes the mistake of working at a retail music store at one point in their life. So in defense of working the dead end bullshit guitar store kind of a job, so I worked at West LA Music in Studio City, and I don't think that chain's there anymore. I'm sure it got eaten by Guitar Center and Sam Ash in Los Angeles. But then I worked at the Guitar Center up here. I'm not talking shit on either of those companies, but the way of life where you say that, okay, I'll accept the minimum wage, and I'll wait six months as I'm uninsured to go forward in this career. And you can really look at this and be like, this is not any quality transaction for me. But the thing that was positive in both places was the networking at point of sale, where it's just like, Hey man, I really need to get to my gig, and I'm buying this recorder and a microphone. You're like, dude, you don't have a mic cable. You're like, oh, you're right. Hey, do you want to help me run it later? I can give you a hundred bucks. Then all of a sudden, you're on set, and Chaka Khan's rehearsing in the background. You're like, where the hell am I? This is insanity. But it's just because you're in the right town, and the right people are coming to that music store. Did that happen to you? Very, very nearly, yeah. The real actual version uh, from that music store in Los Angeles, the two most notable ones are that... I met Deal Hughley and sold him some gear. I met the band The Used, and I sold them Ableton Live, which is a recording engineering software. And I met the actor Jude Chicolela. He's on a bunch of TV shows, but I knew him from Sin City and the movie Daredevil. He always plays like a corrupt police captain or something, oh. you know, and he's the guy that beat the crap out of Bruce Willis in the movie Sin City in the interrogation scene. If that's a road podcaster, yeah. I sold him a road podcaster. That's the, what you're talking into. Too. Yeah, okay, so I sold him this exact microphone in the year 2007. So when I was a kid, when I was like 16, I, uh dude, everyone, I don't even think it's it. I should censor this anymore. When I was like 16, Napster came out. So do you lie about the fact that I got some Yngwie Momstein and some Steve Ray Vaughan records for free back then? Those MP3s are gone in the wind. They were all low bit rate online rips anyway. But when we started being able to pirate stuff, the craziest stuff started happening. Like you just, you know what? I don't know what to look for today on Napster. I'm just going to type in guitar instrumental and see what happens. And all of a sudden, who's Jason Becker? Who's Michael Hedges? I'm going to check these people out for the very first time. Or the one that I liked was I would find cover after cover by unexpected artists. I I typed in No Quarter and I found Tool doing No Quarter live. And so, you know, one of the songs I got really used to was the Tool version of No Quarter.
1: You know that Sylvia, right? Sylvia Massey? Yeah, she discovered that band.
2: You know, I finally got to really hang out with Sylvia in Anaheim in January. I was at the NAMM show and she was doing a master class, SSL. I'm trained on SSL because I went to Musician's Institute. Like, I can take an SSL board, part, clean it, solder it back together and shit. And it was just kind of a trip because it's like, Sylvia Massey? Sylvia Massey, for real, is speaking for SSL. So, you know, lots of great engineers. Like, I met Chris Lord-Alge at the time, too, and he's an astonishingly good engineer as well. And he actually remixed a Muse song right in front of us, just like he had the stems on a thumb drive. And he was just like, yeah, I'm going to load this song up that I was mixing. And it was super cool. But yes, Sylvia was very cool, very intelligent, very gracious. And uh, we just laid down uh, two tracks of drum set, Matt Kremlman playing the drums. And we just did that over at Sylvia's place last December. The church. Yeah, the church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, one of the songs was kind of a reggae-inspired song. And we were... Looking all over the drum locker area, like, is there a timbale anywhere? We couldn't find one, so we uh, we just like you know found the the ringiest snare and turned the snares off and got it to sound pretty close to a timbale. How does that level look into the let's, system? Let's check it out.
1: Looks good to me.
2: This is Nick Garrett Powell, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that was the sound test shred moment. Fret Drifters. Yeah, it's my band. I'm the lead singer. I play the mandolin, the melodeon, and the guitar. Is that fretdrifters.com? That is fretdrifters.com. And if you like what I am doing and the style of music that I play, the fretdrifters are kind of like what I do. The guitar partner that I play with, Andy, um, he is a finger stylist and he is very good with the percussion on the surface of the guitar and when we play it together one of the goals that we shoot for is to make it sound like there's four musicians three musicians you know anything more than the two musicians on stage we try to make it really sound packed with sound and so sometimes andy drums on the surface of the guitar like kind of stuff and as you see you know we can generate bass lines at the same time and create just a lot of different harmony and a lot of different fun sounds We we'll would definitely have a lot of fun one of the catchphrases that we use a lot is that life's too short for one style of music, and I think that a lot of musicians get hung up trying to chase down their passion project. And uh, when I joined the Fret Drifters, I think I might have thought that it was the String Dusters. The String Dusters? <laughs> They're a famous band. And uh, you know, I was just like really flattered that someone wanted to jam with me, and I didn't have any musicians I was working with at the time. The band was founded in 2010 by the guitarists uh, Andy Cassad and Ben Comer. And Ben is one of my best friends now, but when he left a vacancy in the Fret Drifters, what happened was Andy was stressing out, and he ran into me at the Guitar Center. He was saying to me, like, dude, I'm playing a big gig pretty soon, and I need a new pickup for my acoustic guitar, and what do you recommend? I'm like, well, what kind of music do you play? And he's like, well, I beat the crap out of my guitar. And I said, you beat the crap out of your guitar? I beat the crap out of my guitar. Why don't you show me what you do, and I'll recommend a pickup afterward. And sure enough, the dude's, like, you know, just, like, beating on the surface of it and kicking its ass. And uh, it was just kind of obvious, like, wow, I definitely want to set a rehearsal with you. I definitely want to jam with you and and see what happens. And he's, like, all right, well, how about we just rehearse for a gig and see how the gig goes? But that gig was opening for Michael Franti twice. What? That was supposed to be my first gig, but there actually was a little charity gig that was tossed right in front. To kind of like prepare my goodness yeah totally actually i think i left uh a name off during the foundation of the Fred Drifters like 10 years ago yeah the three founding members were andy cassad ben comer and jimmy verstieg on the drums i didn't want to leave them out it's really hard to wrangle musicians and keep everyone on the same vision and again everyone wants to chase down their passion project so for years i was trying to maintain a rock band where i play electric guitar and piano and that would be my one band and those are the songs that i write and then in my subconscious, I was like, and then I'll play guitar with Andy and the Drifters, you know, and I'll, I'll do his songs. But over the years, I couldn't find the right personnel. I couldn't get the right gigs. And the kind of, like, I don't know, like organic, real self-propagating response that actually happens when you perform out in public, especially in repetition, you're like, wow, I have a subtle and small but supportive, loyal fan base that cares that I'm doing this. Not Not even, like, they don't necessarily care about me. I don't want to conflate the two things. I'm just trying to say, like, wow, there's a couple humans out there that would prefer I don't stop doing this. And that makes such a giant difference to see some level of psychological return, say from the fret drifters, where I wasn't getting returned in the other bands. It made me realize, wow, you know what? The band that I'm already in is the real vehicle that I can focus on. I was an audio engineer by trade when I moved back from Los Angeles. I was making records for people, and I thought, I'm gonna make my own record. And so I started making my own rock and roll record, and I figured, ah, oh, let the fret drifters figure out their own thing. But in 2013... It just seems so obvious that I should record one of the songs that the Fred Drifters had been working on together. It was a co-write between us, the first song we ever co-wrote together. And that single song won us a trip to Australia. What? Yeah. How'd that happen? I had a friend named Mark McCord who was peripherally aware of my guitar playing because in 2010 I played in some bar bands and stuff, just playing like, you know... Just, you know, playing Hendrix stuff and having fun with it. But at the same time, it was sort of unpredictable that we were going to win this contest. And so we really thought, like, wow, if we win this contest, we're going to go on tour. And then we won the contest. And we we're like, well, we should see what other contests we should apply right? for, right? Like, this is a thing I never even thought of. I didn't realize there's a music industry that includes winning a contest at all. So the chip about Australia was that this incredible, super gracious human being named Mark McCord, who is, uh, you know, he's got, I think, dual citizenship, Australia and, and the United States. And he came to watch me play at the bar bands just randomly in Southern Oregon. And I was kind of like a guitar lost soul. I didn't know what I should be doing. But, How you know, old were you? I was 26. I'm going to turn 35 in August now. So uh, this dude saw me and like four or five years later, he said, hey, I thought you were good. And I've seen you play a couple times in the States. Why don't you apply to this contest? And that's all he says. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I kind of blew it off. And like two months later, he's like, hey, dude. This contest is the real deal. I'm not blowing smoke. I think that you should submit something. Nothing's guaranteed, and there's a lot of stiff competition, but I think you might do well. I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. And then he sent me a third message, and he was like, dude, this contest thing is going to close in like two days. Don't you have any media you can send me? And I had just put up the Fret Drifters' first music video that day, and by incredible chance, I was like, actually, I do have some brand new media. And so I sent the YouTube link to this song called Love Your Lover and we uh, tied for first place in this contest and they were notified like officially by like the town of Bruthen in Victoria, Australia. We got this email from Australia where they're like, your band is one of the two bands that has progressed to the final round of this contest and we have 12 judges and six versus six. We just don't know who to pick. You or these other guys. Andy was out of town and I didn't have any ability to generate a last-minute extra piece of frat-tripter material, so I recorded a solo version of Manic Depression by Jimi Hendrix, just me and my guitar. It's a pretty produced internet version. It's got fake drums on it and stuff too. You know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I really need to get a good camera. I went out and got a good camera. I laid down some more tracks into Pro Tools, and over the course of like one solid week, I cranked out one extra music video, and I I was just like, I'm sorry, my partner is not visible in this one, but the ban, the fred drift juice, is what you're getting, and this is what's being submitted. So I tossed in the manic depression video, and one of the judges changed their mind in favor of us. Just the tiniest nudge was all that it took. And so when we got notified that we were going to go to Australia, we were like, holy shit, this seems like it's too surreal. It seems like it's going to get canceled. This can't be. We're going to go in the dead of February. We don't want to go when it's cold. we are like, no, actually, that's Australian summer. It's going to be there August, basically. It's boiling hot there and it was it was like you'd rather sleep with air conditioning than sleep with the windows open cuz it was freaking hot you know but once we won that contest we were like let's apply for Southern Oregon's Got Talent the local like charity fundraiser and uh, we won that and it was astonishing it was a big deal at the time because i was a certified audio engineer but i didn't have any gear i had bought a pro tools rig in LA but i had scorched my power supply and wrecked my computer and then the power supply I got, I got their old rig working, but it was Firewire only, and I'm, I'm a PC, and I'm just like, God, nothing was going to come together for me. And then we won, Southern Oregon's Got Talent, we won Studio Time, a nice recording studio. So we were able to cut the uh, last record, the EP, and we've sold almost all 1,000 copies that we produced. We've awesome. sold a couple hundred on the internet, and every once in a while... My friend Danielle Kelly, that works at uh, JPR down the road. Danny Kelly. Dan- yeah, Danny. K- Danny K. She uh, got me into the rotation, or got the fret trippers into the rotation on JPR. So That's I, great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, two of the songs have made it onto the radio that way before as well. It's really pleasant when you're like, "Wow, I'm not getting utterly rejected from Southern Oregon's music scene. Like, this is cool to be included, and you know the, the sensation that you're accepted in what you're doing." Do you guys play in town? The Drifters do play sometimes in town. Like we've played some fundraisers. We played at the Calderas and at like Techtoberfest a couple of years ago. I think we played at the Brick Room for a radio gig once. Who's booking for you? Right now it's transitioning into us. We've had help booking in the past. We've had help booking up at like McMiniman's or like the Deschutes Brewing and going up north and stuff. It's really hit or miss. Sometimes you find out that your gig has been canceled because the guy that booked the gig for you months ago has been fired. And so you arrive in Astoria, Oregon, and you're like, oh, I'm 250 miles out of my way because no one let me know that my gig was canceled. That's happened in town, though, too. I came to one of the wineries, and the person that hired me was fired months ago. The wait staff was like, yeah, we really, really like our playlist today in the lobby. We don't want you to set up your gear. They even tried to offer me half the amount of money I negotiated. basically just leave and be cool with it and I was like I'm sorry I invited a couple people and they're gonna spend money on your wine and I don't know when they're gonna show up but they are gonna drive like 45 minutes to get here so I'm gonna do the whole two hours and I'm gonna expect to be paid normally I'm sorry like here it is in an email that says I agree as an ambassador of your company you agree and that kind of stuff those things are always tough though because you want to show a lot of grace to the establishments that that make a mistake from time to time because that's just the human thing and you know I can't tell you how many times I've come to a gig and I'm missing a piece of equipment This is a song called Catfish Blues by Jimi Hendrix.
3: Wish I was a catfish swimming in low the deep blue sea Cause I'd have, I'd have all you pretty women, I'd have all you pretty women, I'd have all you pretty women fishing after me. Fishing after me Fishing after me Now, Nikki, baby, she said, "Come on in now, Nikki, baby." She said, "Come on in, come on in now, Nikki, baby." She said, "Her boyfriend just now left." She said, "Her boyfriend just now left." Said, "Her boyfriend just now left." Pretty women Fishing after me Fishing after me Fishing after me
2: He's making. Unbelievable. No, he's making, brother. <laughs> oh, that one to Jimi Hendrix.
1: Sounds great. It really
2: sounds incredible in here. Thank you, man. Yeah. Uh, you mind if I do uh, something a little more linear?
1: You do whatever you want, man.
2: So, uh, I don't think this is a political statement, but last year, Chris Cornell committed suicide and so did Chester Bennington. And that's just so fucked up because you, <laughs> when you come to love someone's music, it's almost like they imprint on you part of your creativity is based on the patterns that they discovered and the lyrics that you grew up with and all the shit that matters to you. And when two of your favorite rock and rollers commit suicide, just like when Kurt did it, it's devastating. It ruins, like, you know, part of your year. It ruins part of the way you think. You know, now Fell on Black Days is harder for me to sing and not think about the Black Days that Chris fell on. In any case, this is a song by Chris Cornell called Rusty Cage that uh, Johnny Cash interpreted at the end of Johnny Cash's life. I play it like kind of 50-50 between the two of those guys.
3: I'm burning diesel, burning dinosaur bone
2: Cage. Beautiful uh, Soundgarden song from the record Bad Motor Finger. Super incredible display of the gift that was Chris Cornell's voice and his lyric brain. Why know, are but, these guys checking out? I think sometimes you uh, you live an intense life to to become like an intense portrayer of your art form. It's the constant maintenance of staying at the level of intensity that's necessary to be the trend-setting character or all these things. like At least that's what I imagine. Who knows why Kurt did it? Who knows why Chester Bennington did it? But in the case of Chris, he started a nonprofit dealing with alcoholism, so we know that he had his own demons that he was dealing with. He still left a very beautiful legacy and an incredible body of work.
1: Isn't that the polarity, though? It's almost like going out in a blaze of glory. You oh, almost totally. have to. These people have to shine so big. they got to go out hardcore. It seems like it's a non-negotiable deal. Totally. Very few burn that bright and can maintain any kind of normalcy as we see it within the confines of this
2: construct. Yeah, all the social negotiation that we agree to without realizing it, just like, okay, I'm going to pay rent, but that means I'm subscribing to needing to get a job and needing to live somewhere and needing to put all my stuff somewhere. That means I really need to get some stuff to put in this place now that I've got a place to put it. And it's like I think about almost all my possessions right now are related to my, my job, and I don't know if I've maneuvered around that hoarder mentality or if I've sanctioned it by disguising my bullshit collections as, well, you know, I need one more guitar. I've got like 40, I don't need one more guitar. But you know, like I definitely hoard these stomp boxes. It's like music in, music out at this point. I do a lot of stuff where it's just like, I have to get to the next gig the next day. So I'll take gig number one's tip money and that's my gasoline to get to the next gig. And then I take the free food from the next gig and that's my dinner the next day. There's a lot of that kind of stuff where you find the value adds at where you're playing or whatever and you negotiate your your different kinds of things. Like, do you negotiate your travel expense or do you negotiate whether there's going to be food and that kind of stuff? And, and when you think about it, like, wow, man, is that kind of vain to like send a writer where he's like, yeah, I would like to have a compensated meal or whatever. You also got to remember that who else goes to work for five to six hours and doesn't get a one smoke break? The musician, you know, oftentimes they still have to schmooze in the, in the venue or they get, don't really get to really physically leave the stage or maybe just run to the restroom real fast. There's a lot of those norms that you encounter. Every time I play a festival, there's a green room. There's a place that's designated for musicians to just kind of hang out.
1: That's what I liked about playing out is yeah. what's the food scene? What's the drink scene? What's the tip totally. scene? I enjoyed that whole aspect of other
2: things that come with the gig absolutely even just the thing of you're walking around the market i recognize you i don't know the name of your band and i don't know who you are but you're that ponytail guy that you did that thing sometimes that's enough to be like yeah i do the thing i was thinking i might do uh something kind of
1: jazzy you do what you want i don't care everybody wants to hear doesn't make no difference to everybody you do thing that you want to do
3: Falling leaves drift by my window The autumn leaves of red and gold I see your lips, the summer kisses The sunburned hands, I used to know But since you went away, the days grow soon I'll hear old winter song, but I'll miss you most of all, my darling, when autumn leaves start to fall. Falling leaves drift by my window The falling leaves of red and gold I see your lips on oh, the summer kisses The sunburnt hands I used to know But since you went away, the days grow long Now soon I'll hear old winter song, but I will miss you most of all, my darling, when autumn leaves start to fall. Falling leaves drift by my window The autumn leaves of red and gold I see your lips, all oh, the summer kisses The sunburned hands I used to know But since you went away, the days grow long Soon I'll hear Old winter song But I will miss you Most of all My darling When autumn leaves Start to fall But I'll miss you Most of all My darling When autumn starts of
1: that is such a pretty song man oh my oh, god man. that's a classic you know I work in that little French store downstairs I often hear it in the store on Pandora cuz I keep it on this French
2: cafe thing oh man and I got a sort of a French-ish sounding instrument in the room what do you have I have my melodeon.
1: Oh, I was going to ask you what that was, and yeah. I didn't, and now you're going to show me something yeah. or things. Yeah. sucks. Melodion. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from?
2: So Melodion and a Melodica and a Clavietta are the same instrument, and I believe that the brand Hohner, which makes my guitar, they make the Melodica, and I believe that Suzuki makes the Melodion, and I'm playing Melodion today. I do have both. They're virtually indistinguishable, and then there's also the French Clavietta, and that's a little bit more like a direct descendant of the accordion and the musette, another concertina-type accordion bellows instruments. It's directly blown, so you can do mouth vibrato.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Where does it come from? What's the origin?
2: I just watched a TED Talk about the origin of reeded instruments, and, and I got my mind blown. The jaw harp is also called the Jew's harp. I was told that it's actually an ancient Indo-European word for jaw, and the etymology of it, that's where we get the word jaw. That's why it can be called a jaw harp. And that... I think it was independently invented in China and in Africa and in Europe at different times. But this is, again, according to a TED Talk I just watched a couple days ago. In any case, I didn't realize that the the little band of metal that's in the middle of the jaw harp, you can breathe past it or in or out really hard, and it vibrates sympathetically, and it's basically a single-reeded, single-tone musical instrument. And if you could, say, vibrate the reed into a fixed length of tubing, that's what a bagpipe's drones are, the chanter. You get this bellow full of air, and then you squeeze the bellow, and the bladder of air it goes out through these fixed-length tubes, a miniature portable pipe organ. But instead of having a tube of every length representative of different pitches, you've got several drones just going in the background. And with the drones, then you have a melody chanter. I know that those reeds are not fundamentally very different than the reeds that are in the mouthpiece of a saxophone. If you take the multiple reeded instruments that have manuals, anything with a keyboard is a manualed instrument, I think that probably what happened was people were trying to figure out how to shrink the bagpipe. How do you shrink a bagpipe? People tried to put piano-style keys on violins for a long time, so you get weird musical instruments like the nickel harpa. Like, really weird things. Like, it's got keys but it's not the exact same input as a piano. It is a keyed violin, so to speak. You know, like how hurdy-gurdy's don't use a bow, but you use a rotary bowing apparatus that's embedded in your instrument. You just keep turning the friction wheel and it endlessly bows your strings for you. There's so many great, strange musical instruments. And that's one of the things that's like, definitely follow your esoterica because when I was a little boy, my parents rented me the school cello. I did the strings program in fourth grade and I never played a cello again. But now at 34, a couple weeks before I turned 35, bought two cellos this year i'm releasing content with the cello on my instagram and i'm not great but from the distance of playing no cello to playing adequate cello i'm sharing those clips you know like the ones where it's like oh you know what i'm not a good enough drummer to play in a good band but i can play okay drums or you know, those kinds of things. I never said I was a drummer. It's more like if I was an amateur baker, I shouldn't feel ashamed of putting my amateur baking goods on no. the internet. Why not? Honestly, because anything that says, Hey, you know what, this should be better before you debut it, that's probably like your You may your never ego. debut it. You may never debut it. Yeah, I I know a lot of better guitar players in the valley than me who'd play in their bedrooms almost exclusively, and I mean I understand the Kaizen part of it where you're trying to be better than you were yesterday and you got no opponent but yourself. I don't know how other people function with it. For me, it's almost a pathology. I got to stay up all night working on this thing. If I have a lyric that's unfinished, I'm going to plow through it usually. I do audio engineering, and, and I'm an Adobe guy like you. I've been using Photoshop for a long time. Do you remember what your first Photoshop was? Well, it would have been 1993. You do have me beat. I was 94, dude. Interesting. Mine was Adobe Photoshop 2.5 LE. LE? A- LE. And it was Luxury a- edition. Sure, absolutely. Corinthian leather. <laughs> That was like '93 and '4, or '94, and I really got into it in like '95 and '6 when my mom showed me how Photoshop worked. Your mom showed you? Oh, totally. She was a self-teacher. She was always one of those people where it's like, I'll learn it. Don't you worry. I'm gonna learn this. What was your mom doing with Photoshop? She was making catalogs for uh, the business that she and my dad had, and she uh, was making newsletters and editing photos for. Well, I was doing karate when I was a kid. So she did the school publication for. So she was a
1: graphic designer. Yeah,
2: and she used Quark Express.
1: Oh, I remember Quark. Quark. You could run Quark, Illustrator, and Photoshop with eight megs of RAM. I had one of the first Apple boxes, which was just a big, beige, heavy Mm -hmm. box that could hold like three cards. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was $3,000. And I bought it from my teacher in design school. That was my first Mac.
2: Those are amazing. You know, I don't purport to be like a Mac person these days and I definitely lost track of some of that technology. When I was at school at Musicians Institute, they trained us on Pro Tools on a Mac platform because everyone in LA is on Mac, like virtually everybody that uses Mac. Up here though, when I'm left to my own devices, (laughs) I can just do my my nerd thing on Windows and uh, that's just more comfortable for me. But again, I'm an Android phone kind of a dude. Well, I'm an Android guy, but I'm an Apple creative guy. I would like to get Apple Logic. A lot of the good software used to be Mac only or still is. Digital Performer was a Mac only program for a long, long time. A lot of good software is Mac only.
1: Imagine if we all had one great phone. Yeah. One great computer. One great car. hmm One great house. Great food, great air, great water... But you could play whatever instrument you want, you could paint whatever you want, you could sing whatever you want, you could do whatever you want, but we all have really good gear. And then we can all do good stuff with the goods. What's that cool sound? Is that like a Steve Miller band? It kind of is. Intro, what's that?
2: That was like the beginning of Fly Like a Bagel. Definitely, it's the same as the bagel. So I'm gonna suspend my guitar note and then I'll play my cell phone into the microphone.
0: What?
2: Just having fun with it, right? Did you just do that with your phone? Oh dude, touch screen synthesizers are where it's at. I got one more I'll show you. That was Ethereal Dialpad by the way. Yeah, go online and get Ethereal Dialpad because it's free. This one is Etherpad. I'm not sure if this one's free or if I paid a buck for it. These are Android apps. What key am I in naturally? Sounds like I'm in D minor here. So I'm going to suspend a D minor chord. (laughs) That is a fucking trip, dude. Little Dave Brubeck. This is take five.
3: Stop and take a minute of your time out with me Just take five, just take five Stop your busy day and take the time out to see I'm alive, I'm alive Just so I can pass by each day Not a single word do we say It's a pantomime and not a place Still I know our eyes often meet I feel tingles down to my feet When you smile that's much too discreet That sends me on my way But wouldn't it be better not to be so polite You could offer me a light Start a little conversation now It's alright Just take five And take a minute of your time out with me just take five just take five stop your busy day and take a time out to see that i'm alive i'm alive now i'm going out of my way just so i can pass by each day not a single word do we say it's a pantomime and not a place still i know our eyes often meet i feel tingles down to my feet when you smile that's much too discreet that sends me on my way But wouldn't it be better not to be so polite That you could offer me a light Start a little conversation now, it's alright Just take five Just (laughs) take five just take five wouldn't it be better not to be so polite
1: you are silky smooth brother having fun oh man thank you man yeah i love your voice it's really i mean your guitar skills are fucking wicked stupid but uh, (laughs) your voice matches your playing skills really nicely it's very complimentary thank you yeah
2: would you mind if i did a, a guitar instrumental you do whatever you want man This is a song called Garrett's Jam. I didn't name it after myself. I met a girl who had the same last name as me when I went to S.O.U. So I wrote a song to impress that girl called Garrett's Jam. The derivation of this piece of music for me in a lot of ways is Victor Wooten. Enormous influence on all stringed instruments. Victor Wooten's just off the charts, one of a kind, super legendary human being. had the privilege of meeting him a few times and what a monster player. This is Garrett's Jam. jamming it out. Dang, dude. It's different every time, too. You know. That's epic. Wow, that Lots can go on making. and on and on <laughs> to the break of dawn. It always does, too, yeah. Every once in a while I think of the section that goes... was thinking I might play that melodeon for one song and
1: then... Yeah, bust it out.
2: the song by Bob Dylan
3: Joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen that drink my wine And plow and dig my earth None will ever on the mind None of it is worth speak of view while other women came and went. Belfort servants too, outside in the cold distance. A wild cat did a growl. Two riders were approaching and the wind began to howl.
1: Man. <laughs> Your lead shit is ridiculous, man. One of the greatest leads I've ever seen was done by Prince. I don't know if you Agreed. Oh my
2: god, what did, a Did you see the one specific where he's with an ensemble group, I think It's while my guitar gently weeps, yes. he's playing it, Tom Petty's in the crowd yes. and Prince extends his own solo. Yes. Pretty vain, but he throws his guitar up at the end of the song and his uh guitar tech catches it for him. It's like when his solo's done, he throws it up in the air and he's like I'm done with this guitar. Bye. And someone else has to catch it. It, it, It's the stuff of rock and roll. It was legendary. Yeah, that moment was beyond chops. You know, like, you don't just play guitar well and become Prince. You know, you you have to live this entirely ulterior method of humanity to get to that level where you can... Dude, and like, there's this video where he basically stole the stage from James Brown when Michael Jackson walks him up on stage. Google that one sometime, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you, Mark. Cheers. Cheers.
1: that's the show I hope you enjoyed it it was super fun having Nick here and he brought all the goods he had a big fat amp and actually I think he overloaded the mic a few times I did the best I could with giving you a good presentation of his music he's brilliantly talented and his voice literally kind of melts me a little bit I know that sounds a little bit gay but you know he's a very good-looking talented young man if I were gay he'd be the guy That's all I'm saying. I'm leaving in a couple days for Moscow, Idaho, Moscow, Idaho. I'll get the skinny from the uh, president of the chamber of commerce on what I should be referring to my new town as and why it is pronounced a certain way for a certain reason. I want to thank everybody who supported me here in Ashland over these 15 years. It's been a fantastic experience. I could not be any more pleased or grateful for all the connections I've made, all the love I've received, and all the support I've received. It's been a pleasure to serve this community in any way that I have been able to do so, and I hope that I leave a positive footprint. I know this will not be the easiest thing for my children to undergo as I leave again, but uh, it's all gonna be cool, man. I think they're all headed that way. I feel that Zoe will end up in college in Portland or Washington and that uh, Val's going to follow behind with Sam and we'll all end up within close proximity. Again, thanks so much to everybody. You've been beyond generous with me and I will keep doing this show as part of my appreciation. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener supported presentation. Always a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to present interesting people and my opinions until the next time, which will be in a few weeks from now after I get settled in my new residence. Car 54, where are you? All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon visit them online at facebook
0: if whatever you're doing is not working there's only one way you can change that and that's to change what you do 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 i am citizen 44.